1: Discover the Power Within, Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought
2: principles. Here's your host, Rev. Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the Senior Assistant Minister and Executive Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where it's really cold right now, uh, unseasonably cold. (laughs) Uh, The Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister, and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. We're in the midst of a series that I'm calling Secrets of Metaphysical Bible Study. And what I've been doing is just asking some of my friends in the uh, New Thought Movement to come on the show and discuss the importance of metaphysical Bible interpretation and maybe give us a little bit of drill down on some particular popular stories in the Bible to help give us some insight into how we can study these uh, lessons beyond uh, the literal interpretations. So today I have uh, one of my sisters in the spirit, uh, very... Good friend uh, on the show as my guest, the senior minister of Understanding Principles for Better Living Church in the Los Angeles area, the Reverend Sherry James. How you doing there, Reverend Sherry?
0: I'm very good. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Good morning. You know, um, you know, you, you've been a guest on the show a few times, and you know, we always just kind of rock and roll and kind of do these shows like we would if we were on the phone, just having a chit chat. Or a panorama right. of truth, having some lunch. <laughs> so, you know, right. so uh, before we get into the questions, because we're here to talk about the law of attraction and the Bible, but I've been asking every guest uh, three questions before we get into their individual topic. So I want to okay. do the same with you. Uh, from your perspective, what is metaphysical Bible interpretation and why is it important to the New Thought Movement?
0: Got it. Um, So metaphysical Bible interpretation is an approach to Bible interpretation that goes beyond the literal meaning of the story on the page. Uh, Each element of a story symbolizes something. And then how those elements interact with one another actually reveals some mystery of being metaphysical bible interpretation is important to the new thought movement because the new thought movement is about going beyond what is um there are mysteries of being that that we recognize that we are more than we see between our head and our feet that what has manifested in our life our world our affairs the way our bodies look but not just our physical bodies the way our Homes look the way our cars look the way our lives are constructed. That that is but, an, um, a picture that, and it's a changing picture. But there is something more real underneath, and metaphysical Bible interpretation helps you to understand the real that is underneath.
2: Okay. All right. Also. Uh, why is metaphysical Bible interpretation important to our understanding about God?
0: Well, you know, I am not quite certain that. It is. Important to our understanding of God so much as it is just important to understand what you understand about God.
2: Okay. What do you mean?
0: Meaning that, that, I think many people would do well to examine their God concept because it's what's ruling your life. And many people come into New Thought and they appear to adopt a New Thought concept of God, but upon deeper examination, they find that they still have the zero-sum perspective on life that our fundamentalist brothers and sisters carry. Your God concept is what is driving your experience experience said differently it is your worldview. is this a friendly universe or not? Is this universe on your side or not? And many people who would parrot what they hear in new thought churches that God is all good, that humankind is divine, that our thoughts create our world, that when you find them in the existential moments of life where, they're dealing with a crisis, or they're dealing with some type of um, transition. What you find is that they fall back on a worldview that is very much in keeping with a fundamentalist perspective, which is that there's a God up in heaven, there's a devil down below, and we're pawns in between.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's part of the reason why in New Thought churches in particular, the first thing we challenge is a person's beliefs about God. Not challenge in the sense of you have to accept opposition because, you know, that's not the case by any, you know, by any stretch. But what it does do is give you an opportunity or give the student an opportunity to examine what they really believe about God. Because most people just have a, what I would call a gumbo of beliefs when it comes to God. Right. Things they've picked up along the way that is not Baptist, it's not Pentecostal, it's not Catholic, it's not, you know, uh Mormon, it's not it's not Islamic, it's not Jewish, it's not new thought, it's not, you know, Buddhist. It's just a gumbo. You know, yeah. I've thrown this <laughs> uh-huh. season you know, in, I- I've thrown this meat in, I've thrown these vegetables in, and we don't right. realize it many times
1: right right,
0: right. i think that, a lot of people actually don't even know they they believe their their concept their god concept is god
2: yeah and they don't even know they're
0: working with a concept
2: right right so even when and you know and this is diverting us a little bit away but i'm this came up so i just, So I'm going to talk on it uh, and ask you your opinion about it. This also comes up when you read in the New Testament about the debates that the early church had around what did Jesus teach and what should be emphasized. You know, the Apostle Paul and his detractors or, you know, the Epistle of James addresses some of those things. Uh, You know, you have uh, you know, you have people who are basically saying, okay, are we teaching the kingdom of the cross? Uh, You know, are we teaching faith versus works? Uh, You know what? You know, you know how is exactly Jesus divine, and what I realizing that they're debating concepts. You know, what what do you think about uh, that position or that thought?
0: I would absolutely concur with you that there are a multiplicity of points of view in throughout the Bible, not just in the Christian scriptures, but also in the Hebrew scriptures. That from top to bottom what what the, the the Bible really should be treated more like a library than a a book that has a single point of view. What has happened is that we have been sold one understanding of what's on the page, and the sales job has been so good that we can barely read the page and see something different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so exactly. like you said. The 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 Paul's uh, uh, insistence that it is faith and not works that justifies you with God, and, and justify is a legal term. It just means to be found right with God, and and that's a that even that is a really big concept that that, that just gets lost because we don't have that same corollary in Christianity. But this idea of being found right with God, you're found right because God has a, has an agreement, and and how you show up in the world is part of holding to that agreement. So you're justified by your faith. And James comes along with a polemic that says, oh no, <laughs> show you show me your faith by your work. And so yeah. the question is, you know, what is it that puts you in agreement with God? Is it what you say or is it what you do? And, yeah. and, and there are multiple, I mean, multiple points of view all throughout the Christian scriptures, and there was never a single agreed-upon position on Jesus, period.
2: Exactly, including
0: the Gospels. Including in the Gospels, including in the Gospels. So this idea of getting back to the original, first of all, there's no such thing because there were always different points of view and the church fathers who were deciding on what was going in the in the in our canon um which didn't really matter until it was time to print a book many of right. these books you that people when they studied they would study they they may have had certain books in their community it wasn't until we got to the printing press and we had to say, well, which ones go and which ones stay, that you get what looks like our canon today, the 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 accepted books of the Bible. And then from there, it's, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I wonder if something cataclysmic would have to happen for them to actually, people, to actually open the canon and agree to include some books that were uh, contemporary, but um, excluded because they were being studied by communities that were considered heretical. radical.
2: Yeah, I don't think that would ever happen. Uh, personally, I, I don't think it would happen. I, I think um, not, even with new religions and well, we're going off, we're going to get to the law of attraction stuff, you all, but th- what you just said just triggers some thought to, and I, even new religions. Uh, they they closed their quote unquote canon very early. For example, um, Christian Science, you know, started off as more of an open movement under Mary Baker Eddy. Now it's, they don't have ministers. The book is, you know, Science and Health and Key to Scriptures, and they have a structure. That's how they work it. They're, they're you know, anything that Mary Baker Eddy wrote is not considered canon. Um, And that book primarily is their study guide. Uh, You have, you know, in um, our New Thought Brothers and the Science of Mind movement, uh, religious science, or now called Centers for Spiritual Living, that primary text is the Science of Mind, 1938 edition, to be specific. And they always go back. Now, it's a brilliant book. And now you're having conversations around you know, should they still study that? Should they study something more contemporary? But however it shakes out, that book is always going to be a primary book. In the unity movement, we have less of an emphasis, uh, but I would say probably the primary text outside of the Bible metaphysically interpreted is lessons in truth. You know, it just right. doesn't have the same push uh, that some of the other movements have. The the Mormon church, they have the Book of Mormon. Uh, uh, you know, so Church of Latter-day Saints. So right. they closed their canons really early now. It's like, this is what I believe, and now this is what it is. Whereas the Christian church, that canon wasn't developed for 300 years. And the Hebrew scriptures, or what we call the Old Testament, that canon was developed probably over 1,200 years. Years, right? Accumulation of a lot of
0: centuries. More, more more than a millennia, right?
2: Yeah, as they collected Mm -hmm. data and said, "Okay, now this is sacred." And I think that because their community and the Christian community, in perspective, and I would say, um, new religious movements in general, are normally created in the context of outside pressure, sometimes persecution that you mm-hmm. circle the wagons around, this is what you believe. You know, mm-hmm. um, and you know, even when, for instance, when uh, in Chicago, when I talked to some of the old timers at CUT, the people who were around, like we have like, one 1956 person left at the church right now. It's two that I know that mm-hmm. are still alive. Uh, but mm-hmm. one, uh, and she still volunteers, by the way, to this day, she volunteers. Um, The when I go back and I talk to them, it was controversial to be a new thought Christian to go to Johnny Coleman's church. You know, people called, you know, called people who came to the church a cult and they didn't believe in Jesus and, and, you know, and all this other stuff that, you know, because it didn't fit in the tight uh, format of fundamentalist Christianity or Catholicism, which black people in Chicago in particular were following. And, you know, uh, so they circled their wagons around their beliefs. So it kind of uh, it kind of codified the the beliefs. You know, you get what I'm saying. It's like okay, we have to determine this is what we believe. This is what we stand for. Right. This is what we're doing, and this is how we're going to do it. And right. outside pressure makes you, you know, for good, bad, or or indifferent, it makes you tighten up your game because. Right the survival of a movement sometimes is based upon the literature and the culture that's created around a particular belief. So right. anyway, without drilling down on that, I, I, I do think that the canon will, will never be open for Jewish, Christian, or uh, Muslims in particular, the, uh, the Abrahamic faiths, because uh, those those scriptures and, those, and the culture that surrounds them were created around a lot of pressure and a lot of persecution. Therefore, mm-hmm. we we would then put more emphasis on things that are old
1: mm-hmm. and
2: traditional and mm-hmm. even and even to the point though I would say even when the results don't get us what we want. Right. And, and you know, I I tagged you on something yesterday on Facebook. I don't know if you got a chance to watch it yet about traditional martial arts because it's the same thing. So yeah. Like, yeah. Right? Like, like, Aikido doesn't work for most fighting. Most people can't fight with Aikido or with Tai Chi or whatever. Even all this stuff is deadly, but you don't ever see people who really can fight with it except for a couple of people I know who know other stuff. My point is, people study and then they they buy into the myth mm-hmm. of... Uh, Oh, this is effective. Why is it effective? Is it effective because of the works or is it effective because of your belief? Because if your belief is never challenged or as we would say in the martial art world, if if your style isn't pressure tested, then you don't know if it works or not. What ends up happening is, is these beliefs that we have. um, And I guess this will be a good transition into the law of attraction. Really aren't pressure tested like okay i say i believe that the body can be healed through an awareness of healing my inner wholeness if my consciousness can shift my body can be healed okay where's the evidence of that right I can, so
0: so I be, can, before we okay can, can, i, I want to jump in here because before we move to the law of attraction i want to linger here for a second
2: okay. is
0: that 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 i feel like what has been lost is what's the point of all of this yeah. Is the point of all of this so that you feel like you have something that you can believe, or is there something that you are reaching for? And it has been my experience that there is something that you are reaching for, that and, and your cultic or religious practices are, are really to be in service to that, and they are not an end of themselves. It's one of the reasons that you'll find in New Thought churches that we say that there are a wide range of approaches to God. No one approach is, is exactly right. You have to find what is right for you because the, 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 what all of it is attempting to do uh, before it gets, you know, falls into dogma is get you to the center of your being, which is, in our language, the Christ. Which is to get you connected to and in alignment with and operating from your divine self or your Christ self. Another said differently, to be in alignment with I am and to only to to, to, to organize your life so that you are consciously working with God. Yes, and yes. a lot of the fighting in religion loses the the point or misses the point because none of the fighting is about consciously working with God none of the fighting is about the fruit and honestly if you're focused on the fruit you ain't got time to focus on the fight
2: exactly great point great point so I'm gonna ask this one more question before we get to the law of attraction because I want to make sure that listeners have uh the opportunity to hear your point of view why are names, places, and numbers so important in metaphysical interpretation?
0: Well, that goes back to just how metaphysical- metaphysical interpretation is done, so everything has meaning in in the scripture, meaning that you know what you what you're uncovering in when you do metaphysical interpretation is some mystery of being, some mystery of what it means to negotiate life here in this physical form, even though you are a spiritual being, some mystery of how life works. And so each element stands for some aspect of being. And then how those elements interplay determine what is being revealed. And so every story is just made up of names, numbers, and places. So it, 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 it's classic metaphysical inter- interpretation is you define the words metaphysically you replace the words in the scripture with the metaphysical and metaphysical definitions. You rewrite the passage of scripture with the metaphysical and def- metaphysical definitions in place of the words, and then you work with those sentences until you get something coherent. And then you let the meaning emerge. And then that meaning is going to be different for each interpreter, and it will even change for you over time as you evolve. And it's not a word study because you're not stopping with the literal definition. Classical metaphysical definitions, they combine the literal meaning of the word plus how it functions in the story. And so Mm -hmm. it is this uh, playing with Scripture that is trying to dig at what is beneath the surface. Now, I will tell you, one, just being a lover of metaphysical interpretation and really trying to understand the how, like that's just kind of how my mind works, like why is this and how is this. And what I have discovered is that metaphysical definitions are comprised of two things they're comprised of the actual literal definition of the word not a fundamentalist interpretation but like what does the word actually mean what does the word Zion actually mean what does the word um, you know uh, uh, Joseph actually mean what like what, you know and then how does it function in the story and so you, for example, water. We talk about water representing potential, but that potential it, it can have a positive or a negative connotation depending on how it functions in the story. And so you'll find water having uh, uh, taking on the the form or the meaning uh, depending on how it's used in the story, whether it's a flood or water, you know, coming after a drought. That that they it's The meaning is moved by what happens in the story.
2: Reverend Sherry, we do have a guest. I want to give the person a chance to ask that question before we go to the break. Uh, Linda, are you there?
1: Good morning.
2: Good morning. How are you doing?
0: I am very well, thank you. And uh, I did have a question, couple questions for Reverend Sherry. Um, The first one is. Are our beliefs what bring our attraction? And the second is, don't beliefs and works go together? It uh, says faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, it is done unto you according to what you believe, 100%. That your, what you believe opens the door for what's possible to happen in your experience. Uh, and, and it would be, uh, I would say, a range of beliefs because people have a, a really hard time when it comes to the tragedies of life. And it's it's just understanding that belief is what's possible. Could this happen? Not that you want it to happen to you, but could this happen? And and that could this happen opens a door to everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. The other thing is that you ask, – ask the second question again. Oh, faith, faith without work So so the thing is, is that what you do is based on on your faith, whether you call it that or not, because it's based on how you see the world. It's based on, the you know, um, faith is a religious word, and I like to pull religious words out of the context of religion. Faith is just what do you see when you look at at. A a canvas, a a, a blank canvas. You know, what possibilities do you see? And then you actually take action in your life, in your careers, in your families, in other areas of your life, according to what you see. And so there are things that you won't even try because of how you see the world. Um, For example, People have a, um, a, a an understanding of what it means to get older, and there are things that they will not try because "quote unquote" an older person doesn't do this, and so their faith in what they can do is driven by a worldview of what is possible for an older person, and their 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 faith, you know, bumps up against that that wall, that understanding of the world. And that's why I say I take it out of a religious context because. Generally, when we talk about faith, it's like, oh, it's like, you know, what you believe about God, but honestly, it's what you believe about the universe. What do you think is possible for you? You know, when, you, when you're in circumstances and you are the black person in the room, what are you willing to try? You know, we, there are jobs that you won't even go for, you know, because of how you see yourself. Um, I, I attended a, um, an event last week called she, she Should Run, and it was a, a nonpartisan group that encourages uh, women to get into politics. There's all these reasons why women should be involved in, in uh, po- you, know, poly- you know, run for political office, not just the stuff that's on the national level, but like in local government. And what they found was that women would second guess their qualifications and qualifications, and they wouldn't even try. So I see that as a faith thing. Not necessarily what you believe about God, but what you believe about life, what you believe about what's possible for you. And so you would have people that were and the same man with the same set of so-called qualifications would look at an opportunity and see himself as, as capable of going after it, even if he was not. And so Re- Re-
2: I, I, Reverend Sherry, I'm going to have to ask you just for a second because it's almost time for us to take our break, like seconds uh, away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so I'm, so I'm going to say thank you, Linda, for the for the uh, questions. If Reverend Sherry wants to jump on the rest of it, when we come back, she can. But we got to take this uh, quick break and, you know, we'll be right back with Truth Transforms.
0: Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
2: Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend
1: Galen McDowell.
2: Welcome back to Truth Transforms. Uh, Let me give my quick commercial before we get back to... Uh, my guest, the Reverend Sherry James. Please remember that this show, along with all the other shows on Unity Online Radio, are supported by your donations, so as you freely receive, my request is that you freely give. This show and all others go to all of the continents, several countries around the world. A lot of places don't have the opportunity to uh, have a New Thought Center or a New Thought Church just around them so they can just walk right in and get this type of teaching. So for many people, this is the only way they can get this type of message. So it's important that we get the message out. The other thing is um, Christ Universal Temple has a live stream. First of all, if you're in the Chicagoland area, our service is from 1030 a.m. until 12 Central Time. If you want to check in with us, you can check out our live stream by going to our website at cutemple.org, www.cutemple.org, and watch the live stream, or go to YouTube and go to our YouTube page, CU Temple, and watch the live stream from there. I think you will enjoy what you see and experience with CUT. So I just want to make sure that I plug in to that information. Also, just a reminder, Reverend Sherry James, just like myself, we're ministers for the Universal Foundation for Better Living, so you can get more information at ufbl.org. Uh, Reverend Sherry, before we go into uh, answering more questions, and we have another caller that I'll bring in in okay. a moment, uh, we can you give some people some information about your church and um, your, your online work, sure. program?
0: absolutely so uh you can find all the information you want about upchurch and upchurch.org um the the our government name is understanding principles church we were founded by the reverend dr delarice Lett, and um, uh, me along with my assistant minister reverend sheree thompson are leading this beautiful legacy of this um this woman who had the audacity in the midst of you know having a major uh, Hollywood career, music career, TV career to, uh, to teach people about her understanding of God. And uh, she just, she was a, a force to be reckoned with. And so we're carrying on in the traditions that, uh, that she left us and we're grateful for it. Uh, like I said, you can go find more information at upchurch.org. Uh, my Thursday night Bible study, the Bible Hangout, is uh, administered via Zoom. You can uh, get more information at upchurch.org about the Bible Hangout uh, and join us uh, any Thursday night. Archives of the Bible Hangout can be found at YouTube at youtube.com backslash Miss Sherry James, S H E R R I J A M as in Mary, E-S as in Sam.
2: Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Do, you, do you, ha- you have a personal website as well, correct?
0: I do. I'm actually um, uh, revamping it, so it's not okay. up right now. I'm revamping okay, cool. it, so
1: yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So we have a caller on the line. Uh, uh, I believe this is Tamiko, uh, Tamiko. Uh, hi, how do you pronounce your name?
1: It's Tamiko.
2: Tamiko, hi. Th- hi, Tamiko. Where are you calling from?
1: I'm calling from Virginia.
2: Okay, beautiful, beautiful. You have a question for Reverend Sherry?
1: I do. Um, Reverend Sherry, I was wondering, what is the metaphysical, biblical meaning of, um, you know, how they say when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, John 3.16, that's one of the most difficult things that I've been struggling with to try to figure out, like, what is the metaphysical meaning behind that, like,
0: how, how would I look at that from a different perspective? Sure, sure, sure. So, first of all, thank you for your question. Um, I think that the, it's this is one of those instances where we've been given a specific way to look at scripture, mm-hmm. and 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 trying to uh, it's almost like you can't unsee it in a certain way. Like even when I, when I first got into metaphysics. I was like, wait a minute, okay, but he's saying, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How is, and what I started to understand was that, especially in John, John is what we call our most mystical gospel. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things that are interpretate, interpreted, <laughs> interpreted as the word or Jesus um, really refers to consciousness. Um, when, when um, uh, for example, when the, when the scripture says, in the beginning was the word, that word, like word in English is very flat, right? It, we know what a word is. We're, I'm communicating words to you right now. But the word that was, that was translated as word is the word mithra, and it, it's much more approximate to consciousness or a frequency or a vibration, um, John's gospel uh, is, is one of uh, the favorites in New Thought because that community, uh, stu- it, it almost didn't make it into the canon because the study of Jesus was as a mystical teacher, not as a Lord and Savior. Um, that's a later church interpretation on it. Okay. And when in, in that scripture when it says that he gave his only begotten son, uh, one, it never identifies Jesus, let me say that that we've been told that that's what it means, but that's not actually what the what it says. Uh, we metaphysically interpret that as God ge- that there's only one Son, and that Son is the Christ, and that Christ is the is the anointing of God or the our true self. Jesus embodied that, but he taught that you could embody that too. It wasn't something that was exclusive to him.
2: Yeah, so I, I, would, I would just want to jump on on that just for a quick second, and then we can get back to the law of attraction stuff. Um, it's a couple of things that sometimes, uh, Tamiko, is that is that how you said your name, Tamiko? Yes, it
1: is.
2: Yeah, sometimes um, we have to recognize that there are several approaches to looking at a thing, and sometimes we jump to the metaphysics without cleaning up the literal first. What do I mean by that? Uh, No Bible scholar worth his or her salt believes that John 3.16 actually came out of Jesus' mouth. I can back that up with documentation upon documentation. Only fundamentalist conservative scholars believe it. No mainstream scholar does. There are ways to study how And what Jesus actually said and did, that's not the purpose of today's show. Maybe we'll do that one day. Uh, It's a theological statement. So when people wanted people to believe things, they would put words in the mouth of the leader to to present a theological position that didn't exist during the lifetime of the teacher, but during the lifetime of when the document was written. So we have people putting words in Moses's mouth or words in Abraham's mouth or whatever. That's not necessarily mean that's what they said and that's what they believed or that's what they taught. For instance, Jesus taught the kingdom of God. That's universally understood. Uh, But the Gospel of John, for instance, you take it literally, Jesus is teaching himself. That's not necessarily the case now, but, and more specifically to your language, to the use of language metaphysically, but let's deal with the language of Lord. We read the word Lord and we automatically think of ruler, but we, we don't come out of a so- society and culture where, um, where they had the caste systems that they had, have in other cultures. So when we think ru- Lord, we think external ruler immediately, um, you know, like when the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, they translate the word Lord, uh, they translate the word Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, is Lord. But that's not what the word means. It means self-existent one, living one. It it has no no definition of external ruler, uh, judge, uh, et cetera, that we put on it now. So um, a person calling a person Lord can mean many things in that culture. It can mean the head of a household, like a family or a wife or a slave calling the head of the household Lord. It could mean a person who has some type of government authority, Lord. It could mean so many things. What we end up doing is we try to fit the 21st century. Uh, uh, we take, try to take a first century document and format it into a 21st century Um, uh, uh, structure, mental structure, without going back and looking at what did did those terms and words mean at the time? Now, more specifically, directly to your statement, as uh, Reverend Sherry mentioned, when you want to deal with it metaphysically, you just deal with it, okay, uh, Mm -hmm. Lord, law of your being. Jesus is the understanding use of the Christ potential, the Christ is God's idea of itself. Jesus Christ is the perfect manifestation of that idea. So so now you're transitioning from following a person to following and being connected to an awareness of who you are in God and who God is in you. And more importantly, this this is when my, my radical nature comes out. Bruce Lee entered the dragon. It's like a finger pointing at the moon. If you concentrate on the finger, you miss all the heavenly glory. People started to teach the man instead of what the man was teaching. It's easier to look at the person than to look at what the person was looking at. Because sometimes we don't want to do the spiritual work and follow the teachings and do the the inner work necessary to see beyond what this human appearance is telling us that points to a higher reality that Jesus called the kingdom of God. Right. So instead of pointing and doing the work, doing the work to see what Jesus was saying, we'll just say, look at Jesus. And Jesus did everything for me. And therefore, I don't have to work. I don't, you know, I don't you know, I don't have to get my life right. Jesus got my life right. I don't have to get right with God. And there is no get right with God. That's a ridiculous statement. Because that presumes that God is this external judge that's checking the list, checking it twice, trying to find out who's been naughty and nice. So the real question comes into play is not the struggle between the fundamentalist belief. The real struggle is can you accept your freedom? Can you accept that there's something radically right about you? So much so that you can dismiss without having to argue with the belief or anyone else that you can only have a uh, 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 relationship or understanding or whatever the salvation or whatever the term a person wants to believe with God unless you go down this narrow path versus the belief that the path is within me. And Jesus was teaching me, you and everyone else who would listen how to discover their own path so they can d- demonstrate the God of their own understanding. It changes the game. So even before you get to the metaphysical interpretation of God awareness and Christ consciousness and all this type of stuff, sooner or later you got to get to the point of that doesn't work. And, and not that it doesn't work for anybody. When I mean it doesn't work. What I mean by that is nobody can do your consciousness work for you, not even Jesus. Because if he didn't do it for his own disciples, why do you think he's going to do it for you? They had to grow, they had to understand, they had to learn, they had to demonstrate, and they did most of it when he left. And it's the same thing for us now. All right. Does that make sense?
1: It makes a whole lot of sense. I don't feel so bad anymore. I feel so crazy anymore. So (laughs) everything the both of you just explained really helped me. Um, The struggle was always feeling like I'm fighting against – you know, yeah. something that I was taught a long time ago. And so it was just, that's not how but my approach is. My approach was just f- focusing on the teachings and how can I help myself through these teachings every day of my life as far as the application of. So,
0: yeah. Tamika, yeah. A,
1: a good book that I have read that helped
0: me with, um, I do a lot of work now around just the scholarship in, in, um, Christianity and and or our Bible not just Christianity our Bible is uh, meeting Jesus again for the first time and it's that's not a new thought text um, Marcus Borg was a a, a scholar uh, with a traditional belief system who began to ask the hard questions and deal with a lot of the contradictions that any thinking person would would run up against and one of the things that that he uh, puts forth in, in that particular book that I love. One was just Jesus' concept of God was male and female. It wasn't exclusively male. Um, the Also that um, Jesus focused on your practice, that he was inviting, uh, P-R-A-X-I-S, that he was inviting you into a practice. And this idea of it being about what you confess with your mouth, that is something that came about in i think the second or the third century, but with Constantinople, that that you had a lot of i guess he was Christian Jewish Christian men because uh, you were a jew before you were a christian uh, which was how it, how it worked in the in in antiquity, and they were dead, and you had all these single women and, and uh, that were christian you know women uh jews who had, who were following uh, the, the teachings of, of the Christ, if you will. And, um, and, and on his death, he, he made the, the ability to change to Christianity be about what you confess with your mouth. So you get these, there were a lot of factors of what I'm trying to get into. There are a lot of factors that went into why we have this point of view. Some of it was just societal pressures where, you, you know, um, uh, in terms of uh, these uh, men in, in Rome needing wives and these women who were Jew, Jewish Christians needing husbands. That was a societal pressure, um, no different than, than a societal pressure that we have today. I think I read some article somewhere that, you know, the number of women outnumber the number of men in Philadelphia by 90,000. Like, it's, such, it's, a, it's such, a, such an astronomical number, and that has, that, those, those kinds of things that influence us today influence people back then. What happens, though, is that it gets passed down to us as doctrine, and so we never, and we never get permission to go back and pick apart, well, how did you actually come to that? And then you find out that it was, like, some stuff that was, like, very human that, that influenced why somebody said this is what it is and this is not what it
2: is. Right. so yeah so check that book out I would strongly recommend that book as well along with his book reading the Bible again for the first time uh, that book could free you of some things legitimately uh, free you of some things because you, you, what you'll discover is you have a gumbo of beliefs and and until you uncollapse what you know you don't really you you'll always have an uneasiness because you put everything together instead of un, instead of making distinctions about certain dynamics. So, thank you for the call. Much appreciated. God bless you on you and your journey. And check out the shows I've done with uh, Dr. Rocco Erico on the show on Jesus, on the Gospel of John, on the Seven Keys to Understanding the Bible. I think it'll help you a lot. Just go back through the archives on the uh, on the org uh, page for Truth Transforms. God bless. So, uh, Reverend Sherry, um, we do need to get to what is the law of attraction.
0: <laughs> so uh, can I, I, cause I have some thoughts about that. So the, the first of all is that the, the law of attraction is just to say that I attract that which I think about and, and not, not think about casually, but think of it as like your dominant thinking, your dominant thought. You know, you have a dominant thought about your body. That's what's manifesting in your body. You have a dominant thought about your, your self-worth, and so and that's manifesting in your life. Um, I think one of the reasons that people have such a hard time grasping the law of attraction is because they want their frivolous thought that they like to manifest when what we're really talking about is that what's that dominant thought that's driving your uh, experience. It's so much a part of you, you don't even realize you're thinking it. You know, in a, in a way, it's thinking you. Um, but um, uh, in, in terms of the Bible, um, there are many scriptures that that point to the law of attraction. Um, Ask and it is given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. That that it's, it's to realize that that that, that verse is ask and it is given, but also realize that what is given is according to what has been asked. You know, seek and you shall find, that yes, when you seek, you shall find, but whatever you have found proves what you've been seeking. Uh, in Job, he talks about my greatest fear has come upon me, uh, that, that the thing that he was most worried about found its way into his experience. He didn't want it, but he was so worried about it that he brought it to himself. Um, Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Um, It's Jesus who says, out of the heart come the issues of life. It's also a repeat of a proverb. And so the question is, you know, did Jesus teach the law of attraction? And my answer is yes. Um, Sometimes he would do it in verses where he would say, you shall know them by their fruit. Um, But one of my favorite um, uh, passages of scripture is found in um, Luke chapter 13, and what has happened is that there was a, a rebellion. So the, um, the, uh, the Palestine was occupied territory, occupied by the Roman, uh, what they call the Pax Romana. And, uh, and, and um, Pilate was the governor, if you will, of this area. And so the way that he put down the rebellion is that he killed the people and then he took their blood and mingled it with the sacrifices in the temple. So it was, it was, it was, he essentially profaned the temple uh, and if well, I guess it is a, there's a there's a huge emphasis on what's holy and what's profane. Profane, not in the way that we would think of it today, like dirty, but profane just means common, everyday use. And so, in in Judaism, there are things that you just keep clean. And so, by him mixing the blood in that um, in those uh, sacrifices, um, it's him profaning the temple. It was it was considered uh, unconscionable for him to do that. Uh, and the other thing that happens is that is that there is a temple in Siloam that falls and crushes in Jerusalem and crushes eighteen people. And so the the people are come to Jesus, the students, and ask him like, you know, what was this about? Like, you know, they like they can't even make sense. Of it. And he says to them in in uh, chapter thirteen of Luke, verse two do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? Like there's this belief that, you know, you just, that, that if something happened to you, it's because you did, you, you, you did something like you, you were uh, evil or in, in some way or that, you know, that, you know, are they worse sinners? And then he references, um, and in, 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 I'm sorry, in, in, chap, in verse 3, he says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise peri- perish. Now, the word repent is, is translated from the Greek word metanoia, which means to change your mind, to change your thinking. That unless you change your thinking, that, that it, it, it is the thinking that draws to you dominant thought, not your frivolous thoughts, your dominant thinking that draws to you what you experience. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he references the tower in Siloam. He says, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell, which, you know, it's a freak accident, right? The building fell and somebody got caught under. I mean, it's one of those freak accidents. Um, The tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish it's like your thinking is opening the door to these things that people that you are experiencing and it, and if it's a it, it's not just is it a possibility for me it's like if you're willing to entertain as a possibility for somebody else it opens the door for it to come into your experience and so he follows that up with the parable of the barren fig tree and we don't have time to do that this morning, but when you go into the metaphysics of that, that parable is all about thinking. It's all about cleaning up your thinking. So yes, Jesus taught metaphysics. Excuse me, Jesus taught the law of attraction. Uh, and when he said repent, are you going to follow in those same footsteps?
2: All right. So one last question, because we got about a minute and a half left. Uh, which authors do you follow for insight on how to interpret the Bible?
0: So I'm a big fan of Charles Fillmore, but I will tell you that I do a lot more right now with Bible scholarship. And so I, uh, Bart Ehrman, Marcus Borg, um, Bishop uh, John Shelby Song, uh, Dr. Rocco Errico, uh, I I'm very interested in what is actually in the text. Um, this was something that Reverend Mary Tumpkin in, uh, uh, in, insisted on, which is you need to know what it says before you start doing metaphysical interpretations. And so that's something that I'm I'm doing a lot of work on is just understanding that. But but my go-to uh, is Charles Fillmore, maybe Jack Addington, maybe Emmett Fox. Um, but more than anything else is what's actually on the page.
2: What what okay. is
0: actually okay. there, not what I've been told is there.
2: Okay, yeah, I do think it's important to make sure that you understand, and I agree, Reverend Tumpkin would would drill down. You have to know the text before you start playing around with interpretation, because, uh, you know, you got to have some baselines. Today's not the day to go into the baselines, but uh, I did cover some of that on the previous show with a previous um um guest, but uh, I believe the first show with a uh, Reverend Dieter Randolph. So. As you all are listening to the show, if you're listening to this for the first time, go back and listen to the other shows because they're building on each other. The idea is for you to be able to get what you need to be able to to, uh, work with metaphysical Bible interpretation, but understand the importance, understand why our view is necessary. And even though we won't have time now because we have 20 seconds or so. It's not new. This is something metaphysical and allegorical and esoteric interpretation of scriptures, not just the Judeo-Christian texts, but in general, religion has always been around. And uh, so you're, you're not alone. You're not a quack. You're not crazy. <laughs>
1: you're part of a tradition
2: of thinkers. <laughs> So thank you, Reverend Sherry, for being on the thank show. You. Uh, God bless you to everybody at the Up Church, uh, UFBL family. You all take care, and we'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.